service today. For you for staying in service today. Thank you for obeying and listening. Dr. Mike uh, Clarensall is coming, and he's going to share today. Uh, welcome to you that are at home. We appreciate uh, you tuning in and, and being a part of the service. Uh, like I said yesterday, uh, Dr. Mike took time to share with our deacon board and our some of our leaders uh, vision for the future and, and just trying to become better stewards of what God's given us. And uh, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. This man has has grew up in Kansas and spent ministry time in Kansas and Missouri and Texas. Now he's in Washington State. So you really need to pray for him big time. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a difficult state to live in right now. Uh, but uh, we're grateful that he's here. Would you give him a good welcome? Well, good morning. It is it is a privilege to get to be with you this morning, be back, actually. Uh, I was here eight years ago, I think it was, uh, where I measure those years by Liz's children, because uh, <laughs> last time I was here, her uh, eight-year-old was, uh, was a little character, was, a, was an infant, and so that's how I know. But uh, wonderful to be back. Kansas City is home. I love being in a community where... Chiefs and Royals gear is normal, not weird. Uh, that's where I live now. People look at look at us funny, but uh, I raised two very devout Chiefs and Royals fans. Uh, and if they were here this morning, they would be bidding thousands of dollars on some of these baskets that they see back here uh, because of their content. So uh, it, it's fun to be here. I did grow up over in Overland Park on the Kansas side. My wife is a Raytown girl. And so Kansas City is home for us and for our families, and it's always fun uh, to be back uh, to be back in this area. Uh, it's wonderful to be with your pastor. I, I, I love this man. I love he and his wife. They are wonderful people. They've, we've been friends for several years now. We uh, worked together a number of years ago in an Acts 2 journey process. Some of you were a part of that with us and uh, kind of built our friendship there. And when he called me a few months ago to see about the possibility of coming alongside and, and helping again and being a part of things uh, with your leaders, I was, this is one church I won't say no to. This is one church I was very happy. Uh, my life shifted. I moved from Texas to Washington, but I still wanted to get back here and be a part of what God is doing here. Are you happy this morning? Amen. Tell you what, after the songs you just sang, if you're not happy, we've got to fix something. I'll tell you, those were wonderful songs of joy and praise and the reasons we have to be excited. In fact, that's a little bit of what I want to talk to you about this morning is the good news that God has given us. How many know Jesus brought good news? Yes. About four of you. How many know Jesus brought good news? Yeah, all right, there you are. So if you've got your Bible with you, I'd like to ask you to go to the Gospel of Luke, to what is, for many of us, a very familiar portion of Scripture. It'll be up here on the screen in a little bit of an unusual format. But I want to, I want to read to you what we often think of as Jesus' own expression of his mission statement. Really, the why of his coming to the earth. Now, today is Palm Sunday. We're celebrating 
the, the moment where Jesus rode into Jerusalem and, and the buzz, the anticipation, the excitement, the possibility of what that represented to the people of Israel. And they demonstrated their excitement by shouting the biblical welcome for the Messiah. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a, a moment of incredible expectation and a week that didn't turn out the way they expected. A week that went the other direction in a hurry when crowds went from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify. But in this moment, I, I want to I read something Jesus had said years before about the whole reason why he came. It's in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus, in this moment, returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Soon he became well known throughout the surrounding country. He taught in their synagogues. He was praised by everyone. This is in the first year of Jesus' ministry, where what we call the year of popularity, when the crowds are growing. Now later, they will turn in opposition and the crowds will diminish. But now, there's great excitement. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as his customer, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll containing the messages of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Excuse me there as I turn a page. That the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. Then he said, this scripture has come true today before your very eyes. We live today in a culture of messages. In fact, to an overwhelming point. The messages available to us throughout our culture today hit us by the thousands and, and, and the millions. So many messages. Technology has, has made this possible. Some of you are old enough like me to remember the VCR. <laughs> but remember that? And what, what, a, what an extraordinary creation that was that you know now it let us watch what we wanted when we wanted to watch it. We didn't have to... We didn't have to watch it in a specific moment. Today, technology lets us talk when we want. Let's us send messages at any moment, regardless of whether the person we're talking to is available to us or not. We can send messages. We create a message and place it on our voicemail. We leave messages on one another's voicemail. We send messages with email. We can text message, instant message, Facebook message, picture message. In fact, when I say mailbox, it's likely that you think of three different things before you think of the one at the end of your driveway. <laughs> this morning, I Googled messages, and I got the opportunity to look at 4.59 billion articles available to me on Google. I didn't. I didn't have that kind of time concerning messaging. Lots and lots of communication. In fact, I'm going to confess to you today, I'm an introvert. That's my natural... Anybody else kind of introverted? So you know what I mean when, when I say sometimes when I call somebody, I hope I get to leave a message. You, you know what I'm talking about? I'm kind of secretly praying they don't answer so I can leave a message. And, yeah, I, messages are, are a huge part, and they're important to us. For a number of years, I pastored a church in Wichita, Kansas, and every Sunday at the bottom of the order of service, it said, Message. 
and would identify usually me or whoever might be bringing it. My job today is to bring you a message before the beep of your attention span goes off. And my message today is about messages. In fact, I encountered a message when I walked in your door yesterday and again today. I walked into a message that said right there in big, beautifully created letters in metal, knowing God, loving people, hope revealed. How many have seen that message? More of you, I hope. When you come in the door, look up. In fact, it's that message I want to talk to you about today. You see, the only understanding that many people today have about Jesus is the one they see from us. Because most people today don't, they don't know Jesus. They certainly don't know the real Jesus. Some have an idea of who they think he should be, who they hope he is. Some people I've met seem to try to create Jesus in their own image. That he likes what I like, he wants what I want, he thinks what I think, and he's okay with what I want to do. But ultimately, you and I, as his church, shape the reality of what people know about Jesus. And we do that primarily by the way we answer two questions. Now, one of these questions, Jesus asked his disciples, kind of about the midway point of his journey with them. What, I, what I've called, as a college professor, I, I call this the midterm exam that he gave to his disciples when he said to them one day, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who we say that he is is a big part of what people come to understand about Jesus through us. And you know, on that day, Simon Peter got the A on that test. He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, yeah, but you've been studying with my Father. You didn't come up with that on your own. My Father revealed that to you. But the second question the one I want to talk to you about today is not just who do you say that I am, but what do we say that he says? Because what we say is often perceived as what Jesus said, even if we're way off base. And that scares me a bit. Jesus made this unusual statement in another place. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And to be honest, scholars have been struggling with that one for a long time, trying to figure out exactly what does that mean, exactly what, what's going on there. But, but what I do know, I don't have it figured out either, but what I do know is that what I say and how I portray Jesus significantly reflects on him in this culture. People think he is who we say he is. Now today, as I share my message with you, my intent is not in any way to be critical of any church. I'm not seeking to paint some of us as more favorable to God than others or to rake any of us across the coal for, for any of failings we might have. But just as we must know who he really is and what he can really do, just as we must know the things we sang about today, we also have to know what he said. In fact, discipleship itself is sharing with others what Jesus has taught us. That's our mission. And what he taught, hold on to your hat, isn't what was expected. Jesus' teaching was radical and, in fact, earth-shattering, especially to the religious people of his day. And it was a key catalyst for the events that you're going to celebrate together at the end of this week as they sought to get rid of him. 
So my title today for this message is simply news for you. I've got some news for you. And today I want to look with you for just a few moments at the message of Jesus' church. Why? Because it's the message of Jesus. And it's critical that we get this right. In fact, in truth, we, we run the risk this morning of questioning whether or not those who've got the wrong message can actually be his church. Because the right message, Jesus said that church, the gates of hell can't stop that church. Jesus provided a very unusual message, a very unexpected message, a message of love and mercy that he intends to, to, cross, to crisscross this globe and to impact millions upon millions of people. To be that church, to be the church the gates of hell can't stop, we've got to have the message right. So what is the message Jesus left? What was he all about? It's said of him in those days, nobody taught like he did. And that suggests either that no one was saying what he was saying or that he was saying things nobody else was saying. And I'm convinced as we look into this message, we, what we find is the message he intends us to share with our world. And the great thing about it is he didn't hide the message. We don't have to read between any lines. We don't have to dive in with a magnifying glass to figure out the message of Jesus. It's front and center. Not only did he speak it, he lived it, he demonstrated it every single day. We sang about it already this morning. It's a message of good news. That would have been a great place to say hallelujah. It's a message of good news. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. <laughs> what God came to bring us good news. That means we ought to be smiling this morning. Amen. We ought to be rejoicing and what God has done, what God has brought to us, what God has said. The creator of the universe sent his son to demonstrate who he is, to reveal to us how to live, and he came with a smile. He came with good news. Hallelujah. Y'all are just not quite excited enough. <laughs> to, to be honest, th this moment that I read to you about happens, it, it's an extremely important moment because it says Jesus came home. He came back to Nazareth. He came back to the place where his earthly family still lives. He'd been all throughout Galilee. He'd been to cities like Capernaum and other places. And his teachings and his healings were creating quite a stir. There's so much excitement about who he might be and what this might mean and all that's going on around him. And now he comes home and he's in his home synagogue, his home church, if you will. And it's the Sabbath and it happens to be the week or the time where his family is invited to read the scriptures. And so as a representative of that family, he steps to that podium. And they bring him the scroll of Isaiah. But he doesn't just read it. When he's done reading the part I read to you that Luke quotes from the prophet Isaiah, he sits down and he doesn't just read it. He sits down and he says, what I just read to you is now. What I just read to you is me. This is that moment. Now, that by itself makes the, makes the moment incredible. It, it, it is really the first clear proclamation of Jesus' mission and his purpose as the Son of God. It's an incredible moment. They knew what he was saying. They knew that he had taken the Messiah's mission statement from the book of Isaiah and, and claimed it for himself. I mean, this moment is controversial. 
The room is buzzing. I mean, th- this is this is a kid that grew up in our kids' church. This is this is home church. Okay, this is a this is a young man we have known from the beginning, and now he is saying, this mission is his to preach good news. It's controversial, but did they hear what he read? They heard what he said, but did they hear what he read? Because what he said. Is the front line is the, is the front page news story? What he said gets gets everybody stirred up, as he made a claim to be the one they've been waiting for. But not just what he claimed, but did they hear specifically what he said? Because as important as the claim is, who he claims to be, the message is more critical, or as critical, to preach good news. To preach good news. To whom? Good news to whom? You saw it with me. Good news to whom? Well, everyone counts, and that's good. Yeah, it's good news for all of us. But he was real specific when he said to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, he's not talking about simply the economic poor any more than later he's talking simply about the physically blind. He's not limiting it to the way we define that term, but he's talking about those who are in spiritual poverty, those who are blind to spiritual things. He's speaking to those who are without God, who want God but are afraid of Him, who need Him but don't know how to find Him. What is he saying to them? My mission is to proclaim good news to those who desperately need it. Good news to those who are longing for it. What is that good news? We call it the gospel. In fact, that word gospel means good news. And what is the gospel? The gospel tells us that the long-awaited king has come. The long-awaited king, the Messiah, and the kingdom he would bring, Jesus says, is now. The good news is what we've been waiting for for centuries is here. And with it. God himself has come to pay the price for our sins, to show us life, and to give us life. Look at the words of that message. Again, look look back through Luke chapter 4, and you're going to see good news, release, sight, freedom, favor. I mean, there's not a bad word in the bunch. There's not an ounce of bad news in this message whatsoever. Jesus came to bring good, and that's what he did. And in fact, some of them didn't like that. Can you believe some folks didn't want good news? It's extraordinary, isn't it? But but they thought religion was the guardian of the bad news. They thought their religion was, was all about the rules and the fences that they would place around behaviors and the judgments that they would extend to others. Religion, for, for many of them, was the sad face of life. The Pharisees were rich and they were in charge in this environment. They they were many things, but they weren't smilers. They weren't joyful people. Others were what we call ascetics. They they limited themselves. They, They even sometimes punished their bodies trying to impress God. Jesus was very, very different. He talked about a God who smiled, a God who loved, a God who cares. And on some level, there there are times when I I worry we don't get this either. Now, I understand I'm talking about the church in general. How many know other people are messed up, but we're not? 
right? <laughs> Are you with me on that? So, so hear, hear my heart and what I'm saying. In here we celebrate salvation. And we rejoice in what we've been given. In here we sing about the things that are wonderful to us. But if you ask someone on the street about church, most of their answers reflect the messages of religion. What they think the church is. In fact, more often it seems that we land in the media for our criticisms of the media. Or we are more masterful sometimes in the church today with messages that criticize or that proclaim judgment than we are with good news. Sadly today, I think more people outside our walls know what the church is against more than they know what the church is for. Now you say, wait a minute, Mike, hold on. Are you saying we should be silent on morality? No, no, not, not at all. What I am saying is we are way too silent on good news. We are way too silent on what Jesus came. We talk about it in here. We sing about it in here. We love it in here. But somehow, when we go out there, our language changes. And our message shifts to something other than his. Did you know that Jesus spoke more against the sins of the religious than he did against the sins of the world? He knew messages of judgment only make the judge feel better. But a message of love, hope, and good news changes lives. You see, when, when you and I are quick to criticize, we, we, we tend to draw lines between ourselves and other people. And our pride grows really, frankly, unabated. In fact, as a pastor, I, I knew there were some folks that I was, that I was trying to, to lead and trying to minister to who saw their, their faith, their religion, as drawing a line between themselves and other people. That... They're not like me. They're, they're not with me. And they saw their religion as something that would separate them rather than recognizing their desperate need for the same grace that they had received. I, I want to be careful because I don't want you to misunderstand me, but there, there was a moment as a pastor where, Pastor, this, this just struck me. It, it was one of, one of my early sermons when I was pastoring in the church in Wichita. And, and I'm a church kid. Anybody else a church kid? I mean, I, I, I'm a church kid. I, I grew up in one of those families that Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we were always there. The lights are on, we're there. My dad and I were at the women's meetings. I don't know why, but I mean, the lights were on. You know, we were, we, my sister and I sat right there while my parents were up here in choir practice. My parents don't even sing. I don't know why we were there. But we were there all the time. Jesus saved me from a life of chasing wild women in the church nursery when I was three. I, I'm a church kid. But I was a pastor before one day I realized I was preaching a message. And in that moment, I was railing against the sins of our world. I was railing against something going on in our culture. Some, the latest affirmation of unbiblical behavior that was sweeping across, across our community. And I'll tell you what, when I, when I was preaching that way, the amens were loud. People were shouting. When I, when I, it struck me mid-sentence that the amens got louder when I was talking about other people's sins. And I realized that even though what I was saying might be accurate, I wasn't helping these people that God entrusted me with to learn to be more like Jesus. And I was proclaiming to them a religion that separates rather than a religion that draws. This message God has given us is good news. We can be right 
But are we more like Jesus? Friend, we should not be surprised when a sinful world sins. That's right. I want to say that again because I'm not sure if anybody passed the third row heard me. <laughs> but we should not be surprised when a broken world dominated by the will of Satan himself acts in ways that demonstrate that path. We, we feel horrified. But our expectation ought to be consistent with that reality. And instead realize that what we've been armed with is a message of hope. His message is the good news that there's love, there's hope, there's amazing deliverance from sin. You see, a judge sends the guilty away to pay for their sins. Jesus had people moving in a different direction toward him. In fact, it fascinates me that the people in Jesus' day that seemed furthest from him, furthest from God, were the ones running after Jesus, while the religious folks wanted nothing to do with him. And what bothers me so much is how so often it's the other way around for us. How self-righteous folks can sit comfortably in our midst, and the world can drive by oblivious to the hope that we celebrate. Pastor, I was thinking this morning about the message on the wall. If we truly know God, and if we truly love people, then our message has to be hope revealed. It's the only conclusion we can come to. It's not, those aren't three separate statements. Those, those align. When I really know him, and I really love them, hope is what must ooze out of my heart. Because that's the message of Jesus. Not only is it good news? It is a message full of hope. I mean, those words, release, sight, freedom. Who can do that? Who can do that? Well, God can. God can do the extraordinary. Who can break the chains that sin has forged in a life? God can do that. Who can undo the damage that abuse and brokenness have brought to the lives of people? God can do that. God's done that in some of your lives. God is able to do exceedingly beyond anything that we could imagine. He is able to fix the most broken people that we encounter. Who can give sight to the eyes that sin has darkened? God can. Who can march into the prison that sin has locked down? Who can do it? God can. You believe me? I know you know this. I know, I know that, you, that you're confident in what God can do. Jesus spent his entire earthly life walking down streets of the hopeless. And how did he respond? He spoke of longing to gather them like a hen gathers her chicks. He spoke of longing to be the shepherd because they were sheep that were scattering. Why? Because there's an answer. There's a life that's different. You and I can visit someone in the prison of sin and we can try to comfort them. We can bring them cookies and commiserate with them. But the reality is Jesus has good news that can deliver them, that can set them free. I'll never forget... My very first pastorate, I, I was asked by one of my deacons to go visit his brother that was spending the weekend in the county jail. And I was glad to do that, and I, so I went to our county jail, and he did, that, that particular young man had no interest in talking with me. He, he didn't hardly look at me, but as, as I prayed for him and finally left the room, he was anxious for me to leave. And as I walked out, the young lady uh, working there at the, uh, one of the desks, she said, are you a pastor? I said, yes. There's another guy that would like to talk to you. Would, would you have time? Sure. Okay. 
So I went back in the room, sat down, waited. It was one of those rooms with the glass that would separate me from the individual, the phone on the wall that we would talk through. And I waited, and finally the door opened, and a, a man six foot seven inches tall, shocking red hair, comes walking into the room. Now, you, can, you might notice I'm not six foot seven inches tall. <laughs> My dream as a child was to be six foot ten, and I've missed it by more than a foot. And at this stage of life, I'm not thinking I'm ever going to get there. But that's okay. So I stayed seated because I didn't want to stand up and reveal the wide gap between us. And this fellow sat down, picked up the phone, and before I could say hi, he says to me, Pastor, I've ruined my life. Is there any hope for me? Now, friend, I don't. if you've never led somebody to Jesus, you can walk through that door. My goodness, that was... Pastor, is there any hope for me? And I learned in that moment that he was, this was his third drug arrest. He and his, his wife had been arrested on the same night. She's in the next county. Later I got to visit with her. I got to lead him to hope and faith in Jesus. When he was released, we got to baptize both of them. It was, it was an extraordinary time. But he looked at me and he said, is there hope for me? And I could say with confidence, John, absolutely. Absolutely. There's good news if you're ready to receive it. You see, friends, no matter who people are, there's hope. Yes. There's hope. That's his message. Amen. For the Jews, that's what Messiah would do. He would bring that hope. And very few of us were, have been waiting for Messiah like they were. But our world is so full of people who are waiting for somebody to bring hope. One who can deliver on that promise. See, there are people all around you and I every single day that fit this passage so well. They don't, they don't really necessarily they think they might need an extra slice of bread or a bit of cash or some comfort, but what they really need is they need out. They need out of their brokenness. They need out of the prison that Satan's built around them. They need to be set free from that that holds them. They're living, they've lived on a darkened path so long that the light has vanished has vanished from them. They're desperate for someone with power to bring light into the midst of their darkness. You see, I find it fascinating that this happened in Jesus' hometown. It wasn't a distant mission. And it wakes me up because it helps me realize my hometown needs this too. Not just my new one in Washington, my old one in Kansas City. This community needs this message. This community needs emissaries of hope to proclaim the message of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what this is about, to bring the message he brought. That's why it's on the wall out there. That's why it's, it's described as the heartbeat of this church, is to let people know there is hope. Frankly, if we're better at other messages, then we're probably not the church that Jesus intends us to be. Lastly, this morning, this message is a celebration of God's favor. I love the way this ends. To proclaim the time, to proclaim the era of God's favor. Think about that. Good news, rescue, sight, freedom, now favor. How is it that God approaches sinners? With news of favor. Let that sink in. How does God himself approach sinners? With news of favor. Of favor. <laughs> I've been in some places and watched people try to guilt 
somebody into heaven. Almost like they've beaten them over the head with the cross. I've been in other places where sometimes we try to scare people into heaven, dangle them over the flames a little bit. And while there's a measure of truth in each of those approaches, God himself approaches sinners with news of favor. God approaches them with a door that's open, a party inside, new life. He'll remove the backpack of sin that's so heavy that it steered them down terrible paths. He'll remove the blinders of sin and selfishness that, that, that have formed on their eyes. He turns back the d- demonic bill collector, constantly making them pay. It's the day of God's favor. That's the message of Jesus. That, that's what the Pharisees couldn't get their head around. They couldn't understand. Why don't your disciples do this? Why don't they do that? Why don't they participate in the rigors of religion? Why don't they do all of these things? The king is here. The king has come. Jesus' last statement is so powerful. He says, I'm he. The day is here. And most of them missed it. Because either they just saw him as Joseph's son, or they decided to stick with their sour-faced religion. But I want you to know this morning that I believe him. I think you believe him. And today we are free because of what he's given us. That's good news. Turn to somebody and smile because there's good news. Just show them some teeth. Let them know. See, I can tell you that, you know, I told you I was raised in church, and and this is in no way a suggestion or any kind of indictment on the church I was raised in, because I I was raised in a place that proclaimed the love of Christ. It's just, honestly, I I spent some years of my life where I didn't get it. I didn't fully understand that. And, And the more this became real to me, I began to see people differently. I began to see broken people through completely different lenses. It was like somebody had had lifted the scales off my eyes like the Apostle Paul had done when when Jesus revealed himself to him. I remember one one week as, as a pastor, a young man is sitting in my office. And he had chosen a life that today we would describe as gender confused. He'd chosen a path that that as we look at the Word of God, we would say, no, 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 no. There's no hope there. I couldn't, I couldn't, in my own experience, travel even one step that he had walked. And I, and I couldn't even begin to imagine all the pain and all the abuse and the things that had caused him to walk that path. But as I looked at that young man for the first time in my life, I knew there's hope for him. There's hope for you. And I was able to share a message of hope. And Jesus was able to come in and deliver him from that reality, the things that had dominated him. I'll never forget a young woman who for weeks sat on the back row of our congregation on Sunday mornings after spending Saturday night dancing in a place to entertain in ways that are too horrific to talk about in this room. It was months before she could believe there was good news for her. But she finally believed, and God's given her a family and wholeness and a home today. I remember one, one man that I met for whom life was so dark. The things he had done within his own household had caused judges to ban him from the home. He was no longer allowed there, full of shame and rejection. And the judges' decisions were, were right. They were just. They needed to happen. But today, both he and his family are whole like never before. I've watched good news come to Muslims, to Buddhists, to Hindus, in places just like this. I'll never forget a little girl named Casey 
15 years old, who when she was among us had been so withdrawn and, and acting out on a destructive path, the product of ongoing abuse in her life that she'd been too ashamed to let us know about. I remember when the good news penetrated her little heart and she literally jumped into my arms. She was so full of God's love. Friend, I'm here to tell you, we've got good news. We've got good news. And it's something that needs to get out of these walls and get out there. We've got good news. Something to be proclaimed in your neighborhood. Something to be shared with the broken folks that work with you on the job. Something to be shared everywhere you go. Can, can, I, can I tell you, people, people can find good news at Walmart. Yes. And I'm not just talking about great prices. I'm talking about the real good news of Jesus. There's good news to be found at McDonald's if somebody will walk in there with it. Are you hearing me this morning? You say, oh, my God, I don't know what to say to people. Oh, my goodness, friends. Tell them why you believe. Tell them about the good news in your life. Tell them what God has done for you. But what if they ask me this? What? Well, you believe and you don't know the answer to that. Don't worry about it. Tell them what God has done. Tell them about how God has shown his light into your life and brought healing and hope for you. Because this message we've been given, this message that is ours to proclaim, is good news. And oh, I wish, our pe I wish people outside these walls had an idea of the wonderful answers that are inside. If only we could be people of good news. That's the mission Jesus has given us. See, Jesus is on a mission defined by the words I read to you today. It's a mission of good news, and wherever it's proclaimed, amazing things can happen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have a phrase that we sometimes use when we feel like we're telling people something that they already know. We say that we're preaching to the choir. Maybe there's a bit of that in this message today. Because I have been, even though we've had a bit of fun back and forth, I have been looking on faces that light up at the mention of your good news. While I don't know the stories, I know there are stories behind those smiling eyes. As we rejoice in what God has done for us. God, I also know that in one moment, we can be celebrating your goodness to us and struggle to somehow see it for others. Lord, I know in my own life, there have been times when I would see certain people in certain paths and certain behaviors and, and would want to, like the guys who didn't get it in the Good Samaritan story, want to step to the other side of the road. When you send us out every day with hope, with your mission, with good news that not only changed us, but is intended to change the world. And God, I know now from my own years of watching you change lives that there's nobody so far removed from hope that you can't Help them turn that corner and find new life. But it is up to us 
It is the mission you've given to us. You said to go and make disciples, to go and proclaim good news to all nations, especially those on our doorstep. This is our mission, God. This is our purpose. This, and when we do that, we accurately help people see who you are. So God, I, my concern for how the world around us perceives the church is not because that's how they perceive us. It's because maybe that's how they've come now to perceive you as a God who's distant, a God who is ready to judge. And they've yet to have any idea that you are a God who comes with compassion in your eyes and love in your heart and soft hands that reach out to touch and to heal. They're never going to know that about you until we tell them, until we show them, until we live that same mission that you died to bring us. Not exactly sure, God, why you directed me to this message this morning for this moment. Maybe some just need to be encouraged, nudged forward just a little bit. Maybe others need to lay down some other messages. I don't know. I don't know, God. You, you know stories I don't know. But I pray today, God, that your message would produce a harvest in our hearts. And as we're bowed in this moment of prayer, I'm going to ask Pastor to come back here in just a moment. But before he comes, maybe you're sitting in this room and you say, Mike, I, I need hope. I mean, how tragic would it be for me to talk about a message of hope and not give you an opportunity sitting right here in the room to receive it. Maybe there's circumstances in your life that are broken. Maybe there are paths that you've chosen to walk or there are situations that have surrounded you that you couldn't push away. But as I've been talking about hope today, you've been thinking... I really need hope like that. I need what Jesus came to bring. I need what these people around me were singing about today. I need the words that were coming out of my own mouth in those songs to be a reality in my heart. If you need hope today, I'm just going to ask you to do something maybe a bit different. I'm just going to ask you to look up and look at me as others are bowed in prayer. I just want you to look me in the eye. You need hope. I want to see you. You need hope because I want to tell you something. Thank you for being honest, for acknowledging that need. Let me tell you something. The creator of the universe sees you and loves you. creator of the universe trust him he's got you he can do and he will do what you cannot if you'll trust him he looks at you not with judgment 
but with eyes of compassion. He knows what you're made for. And he wants to lead you to that reality. He's done all the heavy lifting. All you have to do is trust him. And in this moment, several of you looked at me in this moment. If you trust him, if you're willing to trust him, if you say, I really want good news to begin to rewrite my life in greater ways than ever before. Right where you sit, I want you to just take a moment. Maybe close your eyes so that nothing distracts you. And just say to him, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. You're my hope. You're my hope. I give you the road in front of me. You're my hope. I want to listen to you. I need your good news. Just do that. In your own words, however you want to say that. It's not, it's not about any, any magical phrase. My goodness, no. It's just a loving God with his arms wide open saying, hey, I got you. Come here. There's hope for you. In this room where the sign out front says hope revealed, there's hope for you. I hope, friends, that those of you that looked up at me will receive that hope today. But to all of us, can I say, while we celebrate those who put their faith and their trust, their hope in Jesus, there's thousands more outside these walls that need to know there's hope. And we'll never get to celebrate them if we don't take this message to them. It's been my honor to get to share worship service with you today. Keep being a church of good news. Will you do that? Keep the good news in the forefront of your heart for this community. Yeah, there's brokenness. Yeah, there's messes all around us. So many decisions being made that reveal that our culture has moved away from understanding the things of God. But don't look down upon that with judgment. Don't draw lines in the sand. You're just messing up the beach. See the world around you with a heart of love. Proclaim good news every chance you get. Because there is hope. Pastor, would you come? Will you stand with me as we continue the altar service? The hope of the Lord Jesus Christ dwells in our hearts. Heavenly Father,